welcome to another episode of View Press Play News. My name is Natalia. I am the news editor. I'm Jillian. I am the editor in chief. Uh, I'm Michael. I'm a staff writer. And on today's list of topics, we'll be talking about FAU releasing a COVID research study that contradicts those they released in the past, the Florida House and Senate passing a controversial anti protest bill. The Florida House has been passing an anti-trans bill that would require general examinations of minors. The fatal shooting on Dante Wright and the resulting protests. Updates on Derek Chauvin's trial and the coup in Myanmar. So last June, the FAU News Desk released an article regarding research conducted by Rebel Cole, who is a finance professor at the university. The article states that according to Cole, inaccurate data points or misconceptions when it comes to testing, hospitalizations, and death regarding COVID are giving the wrong impression that Florida is losing the coronavirus battle. He argued that students should have returned to in-person learning in fall 2020 semester, um, so that would be last semester. He also stated that children, high schoolers, and college students are not at risk for the virus. Kendall Little published an article about this on her website, and she wrote that Cole used social media to express some controversial opinions, including calling for schools to reopen amidst the pandemic, blaming Florida's spike in COVID cases on an increase in tests, and comparing the mask mandate to Nazi Germany. The news desk released another article on the 15th of this month that is much different from their July article. For this article, they released research from Patrick Burnett, a health administration professor at the university. Burnett explained that Florida had some of the highest COVID-19 infection rates among young people and young residents in 2020. He stated that Florida counties with younger populations experienced higher COVID-19 infection rates among residents under the age of 25 years old, with a 4.3% infection rate last year that was 33% higher than the national averages. Burnett also explained that politics does play a role in this. He associated Florida's vote for former President Donald Trump with a higher infection, hospitalization, and mortality rates within the state. He emphasized the importance of an effective uh, vaccine rollout, whereas Cole's findings um, were starkly different and minimized the spread of the coronavirus. Kendall did reach out to both Burnett and Cole, but she hasn't received anything at this point. Um, so yeah, very different. Uh, research articles that they put out, one basically saying that young people or uh, young people don't have to worry whatsoever, and then the next one saying, actually, they've been very heavily impacted. Yeah, so I just want to jump in here and say, I'm, when I first read that article, the very first one that they put out, I was actually kind of wondering, like, why is there a finance professor talking about health? Number one, because this is a health issue. Uh, what's the finance professor gonna know about health unless he has like some type of health background but he doesn't so why is he in this and then number two I just kind of looked at him I was just surprised I'm like how how are you how are you going to interview a professor that's not in the healthcare area and then now just release something oh yeah now we have someone with the healthcare. Yeah, no, I had the exact same question. And like part of his argument was that like it was bad economic policy to keep things closed. So he was definitely coming from just a business standpoint as opposed to like a public health standpoint, for sure. I, I think this is uh, the, the initial article by Cole is, in, is kind of embarrassing for the university, honestly. Um, 
And also, like you said, from a financial background, you can draw parallels between that and, um, you know, caring more about the economy than, you know, people's health. But I mean, that's just, we know that that's dumb because if people are sick and can't go to work, then there is no economy. And if people are staying home and not making money or they're in hospital beds dying, then there is no economy. So uh, I, I, a lot of like anti-COVID stuff I've seen in the last year has been written by people in the financial sector or with financial interests or, uh, you know, business owners, uh, corporations, stuff like that. So this doesn't surprise me. I, I just wonder why it was ever allowed to be written in, in this way, because back in June 2020, it was, from what I remember, it was pretty bad in Florida. So this, this whole paper being written back then contradicted everything that the CDC and, and uh, researchers at large were telling us. So, uh, and then this new one that we have is actually written by a health administration professor, I think. So it, it contradicts itself. Um, it makes the university look bad, I think, uh, in less than a year to change their mind on this. I don't think the first article should have ever been written, honestly. I mean, cause this is something that has FAU's name on it and it's clearly like misinformation, you know? Yeah, and I mean, like I said, this is a guy who was comparing wearing masks to the fascism in Nazi Germany. So obviously, this is someone who has a strong bias against the public health measures to begin with. Uh, so I, yeah, I'm really confused as to why FAU would have thought it was responsible to publish this, like you said, in the middle of June when things were getting pretty bad. It seems really irresponsible. My question would be, do you think the university had um, any reasons for wanting to push that view potentially to get people back into class in fall? You know what I mean? I don't know. I, this is conjecture, but I don't know if does FAU get some kind of kickback or something if they had people in, in person in the fall? I, did, I don't know. I'm not sure. But that would be maybe a reason why they would let something like this get thrown out there. Um, I don't know. Uh, there's there's been a lot of since this started a lot of like non doctors and non medical people, um, non health people putting their opinions out about coronavirus, and it's like that's fine. We all get to have an opinion, but I'd really like to hear from an epidemiologist or someone that knows a lot about health. I, I don't want to hear what someone that works on Wall Street thinks about coronavirus because they're going to say you should come back to work even if you're sick. You know. Yeah, exactly. And if there if there was an agenda when pushing it, I mean, it makes sense because the university makes more money when students are in person. So if they wanted to um, basically push the narrative that it was safe to come back in person, then that would be a way to make money for them. Obviously, we don't know if that's the case um, by any means, but yeah, it, it's very interesting. I would think it probably would be the case because if you have more people on campus, I mean, you have people buying stuff from the campus stores, you have, you get, you get what I'm saying? Like I could, you could draw a line. No, they definitely that. would make money. <laughs> I'm yeah, just saying, they, I don't know for sure that that was like their motivation for yeah, publishing I, I agree. this, but they, they definitely make more money when students are actually on campus. Yeah. So that, that might be the motivation for why it was allowed to be published in the first place. Go ahead, Natalia. Yeah. So also, uh, this past week, I think we got uh, an email, and I know I was like kind of in the loom of this about a student who sent out a a link to a petition for FAU to allow the remote institute uh, remote instruction until the fall again, because right now they just deleted it. It's now like in person or online. There's not that divideness of 
in person yeah the in between so i think that also kind of would be why fau is pushing this whole entire in person only or online only is solely because of that that petition last time i checked it had over a thousand signatures i think i don't know where that's out now but yeah definitely really interesting yeah that doesn't surprise me that that's a lot of signatures too especially because it probably hasn't reached everybody because i didn't get this email natalia you know what i mean so it hasn't reached me and i, I plan on going back in person in the fall because i'm getting vaccinated this week but um i uh I would sign that as well because I feel like we still deserve that option for one more semester. And I do understand that professors hate this remote learning stuff. I don't think students like it either, honestly, but we're talking about health here and um, that, that should be the bottom line. No, definitely. Like, I don't know. I mean, even I, I think I've said this before, I'm like the biggest homebody and introvert. And in many ways, um, I definitely don't mind, but it's like I'm zoomed out. Like I, I'm ready to do something in person again. And like you, I got my first Pfizer um shot last weekend or last week, and I get to get my second one in May. So I'll be vaccinated. I'll be planning on going onto campus. I know we talked about it last week. I really hope that they make that mandatory. And if they make that mandatory, I'll, I'll feel much better about the transition, about things being in person but I definitely understand the apprehension. This week, the Florida Senate passed the bill formerly known as HB1, but many refer to it commonly as the anti-riot or anti-protest bill. Uh, now it sits on Governor Ron DeSantis's desk waiting to be signed as it has already passed the House. In short, the bill would make willfully participating in a violent protest punishable as a third degree felony with up to five years in prison. It also assigns aggravated rioting as a second degree felony. They define it as protesting with uh, more than nine people blocking a road or if there's over $5,000 in property damage involved. It also imposes a mandatory sentence of six months for individuals that are sentenced for battery of a police officer during a riot. It denies bail to protesters who are arrested for rioting or riot-related charges. It grants civil immunity to people who drive through protesters in the road or otherwise harms groups of protesters in self-defense. And according to the Orlando Sentinel, the bill is creating, quote, a new crime of mob intimidation defined as three or more people acting with a common intent, forcing or threatening to force another person to take a viewpoint against their will. Um, so that that's created by the bill. It is punishable as a first degree misdemeanor and bail is denied until the first court appearance for anyone charged with the crime. The Orlando Sentinel also explained that due to the popular defund the police slogan, the bill will require municipal budget plans that cut police budgets to be approved by the state first. The bill also protects historical statues and memorials since uh, the Confederate monuments were targeted a lot during protests over the past year. It also increases the punishment for batteries, assaults, and thefts that take place during a riot. Yeah, I heard about this a couple months ago, and this is problematic for a couple of uh, reasons. Uh, number one, that's you have a right to protest as an American. That's that's just point blank period. But number two, what they're defining as a protest, particularly the three or more people thing, it's just clearly a response to the protests last summer and to, to intimidate people to not come out and protest, basically. That's what I see it as. Uh, Rob it was nine or more, just by the way, for a point of clarification, I said nine or more. Nine or more? Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, it, it's, and it's um, specifically like it said specifically uh, nine or more people blocking a road, which is 
an interesting detail. Well, it, it's weird because I mean, there's, there's a lot of things if we had, I had the time we could probably go through a bunch of things that are problematic about this. I mean, but, uh, the, the part where you can uh, drive through protesters who are blocking a road, that's ridiculous. That doesn't give you the right to commit, you know, vehicular manslaughter because someone is protesting. But it, 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 it's ridiculous to decriminalize protesting anyway. This is clearly an answer to the protests of last year. This is DeSantis fighting back against it. We, we know what kind of guy he is. I don't, I mean, it's just my personal opinion. I'm not a fan of him at all. Um, and, and the whole, it's amazing how far they're gonna go to, um, to decriminalize any uh, criticism of the police, any criticism of Confederate monuments in Florida and things like that. I mean, um, it's, it's problematic in so many ways. Yeah, and I guess my issue with it, because the qualifier is that you can run through these protesters and you can harm them in self-defense, but that is, extremely vague and we see it in areas like Kyle Rittenhouse his argument is self-defense but many people who watch the video argue that was not self-defense so they put in the qualifier of self-defense but I don't think that that's going to actually provide protection to victims it's just going to give people an excuse to harm people they disagree with so the part that that gets me is that defend the police like the bill would require a municipal budget plans that cut police budgets to be approved by the state that basically kind of means like in our state like in the state of florida that would never get passed anything that has defunded police would never get passed because we're a republican state so that would never get passed so it's kind of like any state that is republican might not get any type of bill passed or anything that has to do with defunding the police because of that yeah, and even if it's not like a concerted effort to like wholly defund the police, like let's say, for example, Boca Raton wanted to put more money into education. And so they wanted to take um, some thousand dollars from the police department budget and give it to their education department. They would still have to get that approved by the state. And there's no guarantee that they would even be able to do that. And that's not even for something that is like, we need to defund the police. Like that's just budgeting. Yeah. It's just budgeting. We're not trying to take away the money. We just want to take some of the money out to give it to an education. Yeah, what, what's problematic about this too, Jillian, you made a good point, is how vague everything is with it. What defines what is a violent protest? Uh, I, I know I'm on radio, so you didn't see my air quotes, but what, what defines a violent protest? Um, you could argue that some of the peaceful protests last year uh, that Ron DeSantis would characterize them as violent and then people would get in trouble. I mean, like I said, I, I see this as an intimidation tactic to keep people away from protests. It 100% is. The Orlando Sentinel, um, when they, it was either the Orlando Sentinel or the Tampa Bay, they did a report on it and they talked to people who wanted to protest and they saw that this bill was being passed and they, like, it hasn't even been passed yet and they're already scared to go out and speak their mind because of it. Well, there was already some intimidation uh, involved in this already. I wanted to go to a protest last year, but when I saw people getting shot in the face with rubber projectiles, I said, I'm not going, even though, so they, they successfully intimidated me from going, you know what I mean, already with that. But um, yeah, I, that's what I just see it as. It's just something that discourages dissent or protest in any way. And, and it's weird because you can see that this can probably be enforced unfairly. 
you know what I mean? So certain types of protests or certain types of things are probably going to get different punishments. You know what I mean? I wonder if an anti-mask protest is going to get the same type of punishment that someone blocking a roadway and chanting Black Lives Matter is going to get. And knowing Ron DeSantis, I know that there's going to be a double standard. You know what I mean? So it's problematic in so, so many ways. And, and Ron DeSantis is, is, is going to sign this. There's no doubt about it in my mind. No doubt about it. And he's going to sign it. And I'm going to have to look at his dumb, smug face and be mad. And, and there's nothing I can do about that. But this is just horrible. No, he was pushing the bill. So it'll definitely get passed. And it will definitely favor a particular conservative group um, when it comes to really implementing this. And another part about that that is just so crazy is no bail. You don't get bail if you're arrested on any of these charges. <laughs> like it, it, it literally blows my mind. Yeah, that part is troubling too. And and what blows my mind about this is that you know conservatives talk about small government and they talk about your rights are inalienable. Well, this is an inalienable right. Your your right to protest. I mean, the Boston Tea Party was a protest, and they love that stuff you know what i mean it's like you know i i mean oh and the boston tea party they definitely had over five thousand dollars in property damage <laughs> oh absolutely yeah so <laughs> so it, it it's like uh it's like picking and choosing kind of that that's what bothers me about it and um i know it's not going to be enforced fairly and i i'm for the right to protest even if i don't agree with the cause you get what i'm saying too like you this is clearly just an answer to the like it's it's an intimidation tactic towards the Black Lives Matter protests, probably because Ron DeSantis didn't agree with those. And I think that's what it is. That's, it's not even, they're not even disguising it really, you know, so. No, that's definitely the point of it because, yeah, like you said, I feel like when I picture, you know, a group of anti-maskers protesting on the side of the road, I feel like those people are gonna be treated very differently than a group of BLM protesters on the side of the road. The podcast was originally recorded on Sunday, April 18th. As of Monday, April 19th, the HB1 bill has been passed. So on April 14th, an anti-trans bill was passed by the Florida House that would essentially ban trans girls and women from playing on high school and college sports teams. Now, according to Now This News, the bill would also allow schools to require a general inspection of student athletes that are suspected of being trans. The bill right now will head to the Florida Senate, which has also passed its own bill that seeks to limit trans youth participation in sports. So I wanna know, what do you guys think about this whole entire bill of forcing kind of trans women, trans girls, if they're suspected of being trans, having to go through these examinations just to prove their gender? Uh, this makes me mad in a lot of ways, uh, and I'm going to rant for maybe three or four minutes about this. Number one, they've never cared about the sanctity of girls' sports until there were trans participants. That's number one. Number two, these bills are never aimed at trans men, so they're sexist as well. Uh, number three, I don't want anyone looking at a minor's genitals. I don't care if they're a man, a, a boy, a girl, or they're trans. That's despicable to me and awful. Uh, and number four, this harms an already like vulnerable group of people, trans youth. They might be able to, you know, 
you make friends and stuff through youth sports and things like that. Um, and and it's, it's just further, I think, ostracizes a group that's already has a high suicide rate that already suffers from depression and things like that. I, I think it's cruel. And I, I really wish that people would quit worrying about other people's genitals. I mean, uh, let's be honest, we've all probably shared a bathroom with a trans person in our life and not known it because how would we know? It's none of our, it's none of our damn business. Um, and, 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 and this is, it seems like this is the target right now for um, certain conservative groups and stuff. They, they, you know, 15 years ago, it was gay people. Now it's trans people that they're after. And, um, and I just think it's pretty despicable. And if, I mean, I, I can't imagine what it would feel like to, to be excluded in this way and already feel different. And then you have the government sanctioning things to, to make you feel even weirder or, or whatever. You know what I mean? I, I don't know. It, it's just terrible. And, and it's, it's hypocrisy. Like I said, they never cared about women's sports or anything like that until people were more open about being trans and participating. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, it's not hard. The world's not going to end if a trans girl plays Little League. You know, I really, this pisses me off. Yeah, and you also brought up the point, they never cared about girls' sports. And we saw that this past year with the NCAA when they, when they were at the championships, the way that the boys were treated and the way that the girls were treated. That just shows they never cared about the girls, number one. Number two, having, you have to prove, like a trans person has to prove their gender in order to play on a school sports team. Like, I, like already, like we already at school, they don't already tell us to do that. Like they're not allowed to do this. Why is it allowed for sports? Why is it allowed for sports for somebody to check your genitals? Like, I don't understand that. No, yeah, these are these are minors. <laughs> like, it's disgusting. It's it's really appalling. And like, I did athletics in high school. If a trans girl wanted to play on the team with me, literally would not care. Uh, it, it makes it doesn't make a difference. Let people be who they are. Yeah, I I just like I said, I can't get over that. It, it's like. They never cared about this until, you know what I mean? It, it's like until trans people wanted to participate and be treated the same as everybody else and play sports. Now they care so much about, you know, five to eight year old soccer. It's like, you know, just let the kids play soccer. Who cares? Yeah, exactly. These are kids. Let them, let them play their sports without their entire gender identity coming coming into question and being uh, forced to do genital inspections. It's, these are children. I would also say too, that no human should ever be subject no. to a genital inspection. Not even, as, an not adult, even as an adult. No. Not even as an adult, not unless you're getting looked at by a doctor for something, that's just gross. I can't imagine any parent wanting this to happen. It's just weird, you know what I mean? Dehumanizing. What I have like never walked around wondering what someone has in their pants. It's none of my business. It doesn't affect me in any way, shape, or form. At I all. don't live my life any differently. You know what I mean? Like I said, we've we saw this a couple years ago with bathroom stuff, and it's like like I said, we've all probably shared a bathroom with a trans person in our life. You would have no way of knowing. It affects you in no way, no way, shape, or form. So uh, you know. 
we're worried about youth soccer and stuff like this and 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 but we have a mass shooting every week it's just priorities are so out of whack man right now the bill right now we're heading to the senate to make um any further arguments make any further adjustments to it but it's only been passed by the florida house hopefully it doesn't get further than that but i have a feeling that it might it might wasn't something like this past something similar to this passed in another southern state a lot of states are doing a it. a lot of, of states a lot of states are passing anti-trans bill anti-trans legislation they are all out of it right now that's so sad you would think we would be much better than this at this point in time it's really sad like i said i feel like it's it's like a concerted effort you know what I mean? It's this is the target now, you know. And 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 I'm I'm a little bit older than both of you, but I I remember growing up that these same groups would target gay people. And now, as being gay has become more accepted widely by pretty much everybody, um, it, it, now they turn their attention to someone else, to another group that they consider an out group. Like that's, and it's just stupid. It, it, it's it's a bunch of nonsense. It, it, like you said, you'd think we'd be better than this and not worry about other people. We just need mind your own business. You know what I mean? So last Sunday on April 14th, 20-year-old Dante Wright was shot and killed by a police officer in the Minneapolis suburb of Brooklyn Center. According to the Associated Press, police have described the shooting of Wright as an accidental discharge that happened as officers were trying to arrest Wright on an outstanding warrant after stopping his car for having expired registration tags. Wright's mother said he called her just before he was shot and told her police had pulled him over because he had air fresheners hanging from his rear view mirror. The police officer, Kim Porter, has since resigned as of Tuesday, April 16th, and said that the killing was an accident as she meant to use her taser, but instead shot him with the gun. On Wednesday, April 17th, a prosecutor who also resigned charged Porter with second degree manslaughter. As a result, protests have erupted in parts of the United States, like Chicago, Illinois, Oakland, California, and Brooklyn Center, Minnesota. And I know this topic is gonna send us into a huge tangent. So before I say my part, I wanna know what you guys have to say. Uh, if you can't tell the difference between a gun and a taser in your hand, you shouldn't be a cop. Especially since um, I read that they were kept on completely different sides of her utility belt. Um, yeah, uh, here's the thing. Um, when you are, my dad was a correctional officer. When you carry a weapon, any type of weapon, and my brother was a soldier. So this is standard for not just police departments, but for pretty much anyone that carries a weapon. When you carry a lethal and a non-lethal weapon on a belt, the lethal weapon is supposed to be on your dominant side so that if you're right-handed, it's on the right side of your belt. The non-lethal is meant to be on the other side so that you have to reach cross body to pull it out. Other than that, I did some digging into this. Um, the, uh, the standard issue weapon for Minneapolis police in this area is a Glock sidearm. And it is it ranges from a couple models from I think the, the Glock 17 to the Glock 20. And that is a, I, I've shot them at the shooting range. It's a pretty hefty weapon. It's, it's compact. It's dense is how I would describe it. It's light, but dense. You could tell it's a gun. Anyone that's held a handgun, you could tell what a handgun is. Um, and I've also held tasers. 
So, um, and they have different grips or different colors. I, I just, I don't. They have different triggers. Yes, I was gonna say that too. The Glock has, in addition to the safety on the side, it has a trigger safety. And what that is, if you don't know guns, is you have to put some pretty substantial force into that trigger to pull it and actually shoot the gun. So uh, now this is just, if you can't tell the difference and if you're gonna panic over a traffic stop like this, you should not be a police officer. Do I believe Kim Potter that she shot this kid on accident? Maybe because she did only shoot him once and you see her say, oh my God, oh my God. But it's like, that's not an excuse in my opinion. You, you, you were, you're an officer for 25, 26 years. You, you know, if you make these kind of mistakes, man, she deserves to be jailed. She's probably going to get hit on the manslaughter, deservedly so. Um, you don't have, there's certain jobs where you, where oops doesn't cut it. And police officers, soldiers, airline pilots, air traffic controllers, those are jobs like that where just a simple oops doesn't exonerate you. And, um, and, and how tone deaf to even, you know, escalate this like this when this is 10 miles away from the biggest trial in 20 or 30 years regarding the fatal killing of a black man. Um, and also my fourth thing and my last point is that his outstanding warrant was for a misdemeanor. Does it really harm anyone if Dante Wright runs away on this misdemeanor? You have his tags, you know where he lives. Can't you just pick him up later and give him his day in court instead of shooting him or tasing him? Also, she broke department policy by using her taser. I read that too. They're not allowed to use those on people operating a motor vehicle. So she broke a lot of, of rules here. And, and, and like I said, it harmed no one if Dante Wright ran away. It's not like he had an outstanding warrant for being a murderer. He had an outstanding warrant for what I understood to be two misdemeanors. So if he runs away, I mean, you got his tags, you know who he is, you pick him up later, give him his day in court. You don't have to kill this man. Yeah, I'm also gonna, sorry if we go off on a tangent here, but this kind of also, with everything that's been happening around the United States with these horrible mass shootings and everything, I was in my, I take a comparative politics class here at FAU, and this past week we were actually kind of discussing this. I, I, I was reading, when I was reading about what happened to him, about his mother, how his mother, you know, he called his mother, Dante Wright, called his mother saying, hey, I got stopped by the police. And the next thing you know, she gets a call from his girlfriend saying, hey, they try him. Like, I can't imagine being the mother of somebody like that who, you know, leaves her son, lets her son go out to, you know, I heard he was going out to a friend's house or his brother's house or something. And to never, you know, your son's not going to come back home. I can't imagine the pain that mother is feeling, number one. Number two, this draws us back into something in my comparative politics class that we were talking about how the United States is so individualized versus other countries that are, when something like this happens they look at the system so the country that we brought into place was Canada you know if something happens in Canada they look at the system they don't look at the individual here in the United States we look at the specific individual and it's not just with guns we look at it with sexual assault we look at it with murder we look at it with everything we look at it as oh my goodness what was that person wearing oh what was that person doing what was that person doing there it was always individual versus the systemic part and i think it also brings us back into the point of 
if you're a cop and you do not know the difference between a taser and a handgun, you shouldn't be a cop because there's a complete difference between both of those. And I just think it's completely saddening like that we always go back into the fact of what was this person doing? So like right now we're like, oh, well, he had a case of misdemeanor. We had this and that. That's not a right for somebody to shoot and kill somebody. That's not a right to do that. And I think instead of us, you know, I think as a country, instead of us looking at the specific person, we need to start looking at the system that is allowing these things to continuously happen. And it's not just with police, it's with police, it's with mass shooting. We just had, you know, the shooting that killed eight people in FedEx at a FedEx um, shipment location. We need to start looking at the system and not the person. Yeah, 100%. This is a this is a systemic problem. This isn't just a couple bad apples. This is a very deep rooted issue that unless it is addressed as a whole, it's never going to be fixed and it's only going to get worse. Um, Michael, you brought up a really great point. You were talking about how there are not a lot of um, there are there are a few fields that like if you make a mistake, like that's not just like an oopsie that you move on from doctors for example you have an oopsie and on the surgical table you lose your license you're done and cops have not been given that same treatment if you kill somebody you should have your your license or your job revoked in whatever field that is if you're if your actions are resulting in people dying that's unacceptable and you know we see that she uh she seemed to have left her job willingly this in this scenario but in other cases, these cops keep their jobs or they just move to a different department where people forget their name or don't know their name and they just move on with their lives. It's completely unacceptable. And like you said, Natalia, like regardless of if this is a person who has a criminal history or a history of drug, drug use, no matter what their history is, a cop is not the judge, jury, and executioner. They do not just get to kill people because, because they have a potential criminal history this is just it it it's completely unacceptable yeah um i was gonna say too you know to to to, to piggyback on you know not a lot not make there's certain jobs where you're not allowed to make a mistake the way that police in america are treated after they make a mistake versus the way for example I, i'm talking from personal experience my, my brother was a soldier for a couple of years, he was an he was an infantry soldier. His his job was to fight in Afghanistan and Iraq. He did two or three tours. He he was in the Philippines for a couple of years, and then he went to Iraq and Afghanistan. And he fought, um, and he was telling me how the rules of engagement over there, if when it, when they fire their weapon, they have to go immediately after the engagement. They get interviewed. They have to account for every round they shot. They have to answer where they authorized to shoot. And this is in an active war zone. This isn't, you know, the streets of, of America where it's safe. America's safer today than it, it has been ever. You can go look that up. So we, you know, they allow cops to panic in the safest America ever and get off of shooting someone. But the standards are more strict for soldiers in actual war zones. So the cops should have the same exact standards as a soldier. I mean, my brother and his squad knew that if they shot someone, the the wrong person when they were in war that they would be doing 20 years to life and it, the same standard should apply to police i think i just think that we don't do enough to um hold these people accountable it's not you don't get to have an oops like this and i'm really tired of police acting like 
their job is to go into an active war zone. It is not. We live, like I said, in a safer America than ever. You can, even though there's, you know, we see the mass shootings and stuff like that, but the, on average, violent crime is down. Things like that are down. So it just seems like every interaction with police turns into this aggressive thing that it doesn't need to. And it's, it's excessive. Yeah, I think we need to stop looking at just because, uh, how many of you think about this? A person's skin color, a, pe a person's gender, a person's ethnicity shouldn't be the reason they are killed in this country, number one. And number two, this kind of circles back. I think it's also sad because I actually asked a question in the specific class where, you know, we were having this huge discussion and I kind of like brought back like, oh, is this kind of the reason why we're having like so many like mass shootings and stuff like that? And it was very saddening to hear a student have to ask which one. Like a student leader had to ask which one because we had so many in the last month. Like we shouldn't be standing here every single week having to turn on the news and hear so and so amount of people were killed. We need to start taking account into this. We need to stop letting these things go under the rug and start actually making the active changes and changing the system that is continuously allowing to this. Because until we get the system to change, these things are going to be occurring and sadly you're going to be occurring a lot more often if we don't get to the bottom of this no 100 percent. and then you know we we're, we're talking about this and this is exactly why um florida is making it so that if you want to defund areas from the police department you have to get it approved they're trying to make sure that these systemic changes cannot happen and uh, they don't want it to happen and to piggyback off of, off of uh, something that you had said previously, Michael, you're talking about how um, they talk about how they're constantly in fear of their lives when we're in like the safest America yet. Also, they don't even have the like one of the more dangerous jobs. If you go onto like list rankings, first of all, there were a couple pages that I was looking at that they didn't even come up on a list. Um, but on this article from Business Insider, they rank number 16. So there are lots of careers that are far more deadly than this one. And that's not to minimize the police officers who have been injured or killed on the job. But the fact of the matter is like more civilians are being killed by police than police are being killed by civilians. Well, this gets, I'll, I'll end my point on this. Why do the police get the right to be scared, but we don't? So someone that undergoes training and is armed, they have the right to fear for their life, but someone who is unarmed at a traffic stop and is 16 years old or, or however old doesn't have the right to be scared of this same person when we see shootings on the news, when we see things like Derek Chauvin on the news, why does their fear matter more than my fear? Do you get what I'm saying? Like you would expect that someone that's trained wouldn't be scared at all, you know what I mean? Uh, I heard in this Dante Wright case that he was on the phone with his mom because he was scared when he got pulled over. And when the officer came to the window, they told him to get off the phone. So why does their fear matter more than his? I mean, they're the ones with the training, the badge, the, the high paying salary and the guns. It's just kind of ridiculous, man. So this is a quickly, this is a CNN article that I saw this past week and it's titled On Guns and COVID. It's liberty over life. And as I was reading it, it's a whole entire article talking about how right now, you know, it's everything over our liberties. Everybody is over my liberty is being threatened over how many lives are being killed. And 
one of the parts here that really stuck out to me was it says right now the liberty promised by the Declaration of Independence is interfering with the life and the pursuit of happiness in ways the founding fathers could have never imagined. Given the choice with help from conservative courts and Second Amendment true believers, the country is treating personal freedom over public safety, giving some of its people a fling of liberty, feeling of liberty, but also causing many people to die in the process. Our next topic is the uh, Chauvin trial. So we're recording this on Sunday and um, anyone listening probably won't hear this till Tuesday. So we're not gonna go too in depth on this because closing arguments are tomorrow, Monday. So by the time this goes out, closing arguments will have already been made. Now, I'm not sure when a verdict is going to be reached in this case. Uh, I would expect probably at the latest Wednesday or something like that. I, From what I understand, there could be a verdict on Monday. So this may be horribly outdated by then, but um, that's basically it. The last part of the trial was the defense and they really didn't call very many people. And the one person they called the doctor, he, uh, Dr. Fowler, he, he was getting hit pretty hard by the prosecution on uh, cross-examination and in my opinion, did not look very good. Uh, and, um, so we're gonna have to see what goes on with this. Uh, Chauvin invoked his right to not incriminate himself and did not take the stand. Um, and I, I expected that, uh, I felt like there's no way he could defend what he did. So uh, we'll have to see what happens here. Um, to me, with the evidence, you know, it looks like a slam dunk, but it's we know that this never is, and that there are statutes for proving certain charges and stuff like that. But I thought the prosecution really made a compelling argument that, and with their experts and stuff, that um, that he caused George Floyd's death. I believe he caused George Floyd's death, um, but from looking at the evidence and from listening to the testimony. And I felt like the medical experts that the defense called in were um, not, uh, what's the word, not reputable. I know the one Dr. Fowler, he is uh, currently in another lawsuit from a young man named Anton Black, who was also killed by police a couple years ago. And he's in a lawsuit for trying to cover the police's tracks in that one and lying on an autopsy, I believe. So I, I didn't think that Dr. Fowler, now the prosecution wasn't allowed to say this, but I didn't find him a reputable witness because of that, because you know what I mean? It, it, so I guess we'll just have to keep an eye on this. I don't know if, do you guys have any thoughts on what you think the verdict will be? I mean, I, 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 I truly don't know. Me neither. Cause I mean, when you hear all of the witnesses, all of the evidence, like I say, oh, it's open and shut case. I'm it, He's guilty, right? But it's we're in such a strange political environment that um it really just depends on the jury it, it i feel like it could really go either way yeah and that and i think that's the troublesome thing with reasonable doubt is that a lot of people misunderstand what reasonable doubt is reasonable doubt doesn't mean like you know was there a 0.001% chance that so and so didn't cause so and so but it means that it's it's in the, the definition, reasonable doubt. You know what I mean? I, I think misunderstanding of reasonable doubt in, a, in big trials like this has gotten some people off that were pretty obviously guilty. The biggest one would probably be Casey Anthony. Uh, I don't know if you guys remember that. Um, I, I feel like yeah. she was probably guilty. Um, and I think that a misunderstanding of what reasonable doubt is was why she got off. So we'll just have to keep an eye on this. I mean, next week we'll know the verdict, so we'll have to talk about it. Our final topic today is about, uh, and we wanted to talk about this last week, it's about the military coup in Myanmar. 
And uh, if people have been watching the news, it's been getting worse. Uh, and I was reading about it this morning so I could be as up to date as possible on what's happening. But uh, I read that uh, the United Nations High Commissioner, uh, her name is Michelle Bacalette, she's warning that it's going to explode into quote, full-blown conflict. Uh, Myanmar's military, it's known as the Tatmadaw, they're stepping up their um, brutality recently. They've airstriked civilians, they're cracking down on dissent. And the New York Times wrote an article today where they uh, talked to pro-democracy protesters and these protesters are facing down this military with everything they have. They're using slingshots, homemade firebombs, hunting rifles, air rifles. Uh, so according to this article, the New York Times article, more than 728 people have been killed since this started on February 1st, and at least 3,000 are detained. Uh, the deadliest day of protests so far was March 27th, when Myanmar's military forces killed 150 people in one day. But earlier this month in the town of Bago, they killed 82 people on a single day using RPGs, rocket-propelled grenades, and machine gun fire. Leaders around the globe have condemned this violence, and businesses are cutting ties to Myanmar as well, with South Korean steel giant POSCO ending its relationship with Myanmar's military this month. Amnesty International's business and human rights researcher, Monsi Ferrer, said, as pressure builds on businesses and as the military continues to commit appalling human rights violations, the United Nations Security Council must stop lagging so far behind. It must impose without further delay a comprehensive global arms embargo on Myanmar, as well as targeted financial sanctions on senior military officials responsible for these atrocity crimes. The Security Council must also urgently refer the situation in Myanmar to the International Criminal Court. So those are some pretty strong words and an arms embargo, that's a pretty interesting thing that may eventually get this to stop. Now, the background for this is that the military just took over. Uh, Myanmar used to be Burma and it has this weird history of, of military rule and they finally had democratic rule and their leader um, of their military just decided to take power and they've been cracking down super hard ever since. And I mean, this stuff is hard to watch with, uh, with the airstriking and the machine guns against people who, like I said, the New York Times said these people have slingshots, they're defenseless. So uh, the pressure's on and I just wonder if anything's actually gonna come of it. I've been in my class, let's say, compared to politics, I've listened to politics, and we're really digging up. Um, we've been talking about Myanmar this one entire semester. And I was reading this a couple of weeks ago. I found this actually kind of sad. Like, this young girl, she was, she got shot and killed in her own home as she was walking down the steps of her home with, you know, a, I think she had a coconut in her hand. And the next thing she, um, she knows, like her father said, next thing you know, boom she's dead with and they looked at her and she had like a gunshot wound on her head and they found out by neighbors around the community that there was a military cop or a military person kind of hiding in the bushes and they shot her yeah it, it's pretty brutal it, it reminds me um almost of like some stuff that you would see you know, in uh, coups in South America in the 80s, death squads basically walking around shooting, cracking down dissent at any any, any point. Um, but uh, from what I've read, this is probably gonna explode into a full-scale civil conflict of some sort. And the only way I think of evening the odds of the pro-democracy protesters versus the military is 
these sanctions. Like I said, they, they this this South Korean steel company, uh, Myanmar's military re relies on them heavily to do, to do what they do. You know what I mean? And they're like, nope, we're we're out, we're out. So if more businesses do that, or there's an arms embargo or whatever, uh, maybe we can get a solution to this that stops people from getting killed. But it just uh, the brutality that's been on display for now almost three months is just insane. So I I'm a little cynical on if reason is going to work on something like this yeah we'll have to see it's definitely something that at least i feel like i don't see in mainstream news very frequently no you don't you definitely don't um which is kind of weird because hong kong protests a couple years ago got a lot of lot of coverage but now this doesn't and this is pretty crazy it's probably equally crazy if not more so and i wonder why that is because you're right uh, i think it might just be bad timing it's running up against vaccine rollout and the Chauvin trial, at least here in America. So I, I watch a lot of news and I have really not seen them mention this very much at all. So it wouldn't surprise me if some people were in the dark. That's why I said I had to reread stuff today because the only place I get, I only find information about this when I go look for it basically. So I feel like the news gets worse every week for this. Last week it was airstriking civilians. Now I see that they're still opening fire on them. I mean, to to airstrike people, like I said, who are fighting back against you with slingshots is insane. And this New York Times article has some really good pictures. Uh, the one guy, he had a sword. <laughs> so I was like, this is pretty crazy, man. These people are, are, are courageous. They're, they're willing to die for their democracy. You know what I mean? Even if they have to run against a full-fledged military with slingshots and swords and air rifles and homemade weapons. So, but it's just pretty sad. And, and, and like you said, I feel like it hasn't gotten enough attention from our, our news sources. I, I know that, like I said, maybe it's because of timing with other big newsworthy events up against it, but still. Yeah, so also I was seeing about this on, you know, different news sources and stuff, how the military, they are digging up graves of people that have died so they can eliminate your tracks and make it seem like oh this never happened and they did that with one of the girls that got killed one of the protesters that got killed they had a whole entire like ceremony for her and stuff like that and the police overnight went in and like dug up her grave and took her out yeah we'll, we'll probably see more of that too if history has told us anything it's that when stuff like this happens they do that stuff in World War II, you know, the Nazis and the Red Army, they, they dug up mass graves where they'd shot people, um, you know, um, so they're, they're probably gonna try and cover their tracks as hard as they can, but some of this stuff's on video, you know what I mean? We have photos, that's why they're cutting internet access and everything, they're really trying to really isolate any rebellion, but it seems like everyone that's a civilian there is against this, this military coup, they're very um, united in that, in that front, so that's interesting to me and, and makes me wonder potentially what's going to happen since their, their, their resolve seems to not be shaken or broken at all in the face of the brutality. And it's, um, like I said, it's admirable and it's courageous, but I, you don't want to see more people die. All right, guys, we have reached the end of the U Press Play News podcast, episode 10. Be here next week for more information and more news. Bye.